Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio Channel 132. Each week we talk about the craft beer business, pop culture, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm here with my co-host, JWB's Head of Brewery Operations, Maria Cabre. Hola, Maria. ¿Cómo estás? Our first guest is a native Californian. He was born in Berkeley, went to high school in Los Angeles, and college in Santa Cruz. After a few years in brewing in the scenic mountain town of Boulder Creek, he connected with Jesse Pine and Matt Robar to create Pure Project in San Diego. With his knowledge of agricultural and his passion for brewing with local, seasonal, and organic ingredients, he was the perfect brewer to put Pure Project on the craft beer map. The brewery has won several awards and garnered such media attention in five short years. In 2017, he was named the number three best local brewery in the United States by Travel and Leisure Magazine. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Winslow Sawyer. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so, so much for having me, John. I really appreciate it. And we're uh, also joined here by uh, Maria Cabre. Hi, guys. The legend. Yes, the legend. Oh, the legend herself. Thanks, yes. Winslow. <laughs> so we're going to jump right in this. You are a banana slug. I'm guessing that you were already in the craft beer industry when you wrote your senior thesis on sustainability in the brewing industry at the University of California at Santa Cruz. When did you first try craft beer and was that the day you turned 21? <laughs> to be honest, uh, I kind of grew up in a slightly alternative family. My dad was a uh, Unitarian minister. Uh, and when I was young, we like, you know, traveled around the country doing like interim uh, ministries like okay. across the U S. So one year we were in New Jersey and, uh, I was like maybe four or five years old. And he was like, here's something that comes from where we're from California. And he, he had me try a Sierra Nevada pale ale. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is awful. Like this hurts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that was my first taste of craft beer. Um, but growing up in, uh, Pasadena going to high school there. I had some, uh, good family friends that were European, uh, Welsh and they, you know, they let their kids drink when they're in high school. They're like, it's better that, you know, instead of you breaking into some elementary school and drinking forties, like I'd rather you be here and, you know, be somewhere safe. So I grew up drinking like uh, craftsman brewing. I'm not sure if you ever heard of them, but no, I have they have a, they have a beer called poppy fields. They're, they're a pretty old brewery, um, in, uh, LA, but that's kind of like where I started. And then when I went to Santa Cruz, uh, when I turned 17, uh, went there, everyone's drinking Coors Light and playing beer pong. And I'm like, I can't stand this, you know? So wait, you went into so, college at 17? Yeah, I uh, I skipped eighth grade, which probably wasn't the greatest for my social development. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit ahead. And, okay. you know, like I actually when I was doing my senior thesis, I was actually 20. So it was a way for me to go to all these breweries before I was 21. Oh, wow. That's kind of like the little trick I pulled. That's but awesome. anyways, like, you know, got to college, everyone's drinking Coors Light, playing beer pong. And I'm like, I'm not really into putting warm ping pong balls into my watery beer. <laughs> so started actually brewing, uh, that summer of our freshman year with my buddy, David, who, uh, recently opened a brewery called, uh, fruition in Watsonville, California. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, you know, picked up our first carboy on our drive back up to our sophomore year of college, you know, 18 and we started brewing. Um, there was a really great homebrew shop in, uh, Santa Cruz called seven bridges. It was the, actually the, the only organic homebrew shop in the world. And right. Tim from that. Santia Darius was, uh, the front desk guy there. And he, really, he really gave us an ex. Yeah. So he was in the process at that time of starting Sante and, he was just the front desk guy, you know, and he handed us Jamil's like brewing classic styles book and was like, here boys, like if you want to become brewers, you know, master some of these styles before you start, you know, dicking around and trying to invent your own stuff. So, so, so you, you know, just started, I mean, you actually worked at the organic homebrewing co-op, right? Before you first started yeah, to get exactly. Boulder. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we started brewing, 
we may or may not have been like illegally selling beer at parties uh, <laughs> when our bands were playing shows. Uh, it was a really fun time, you know, just like brewing all kinds of classic styles and stuff. Um, but then once uh, Tim, he started Sante, started like releasing, you know, mixed fermentation, like sour beers and stuff like that was kind of like the go point. We're like, what is this? This is not something that's easy to find. You know, like maybe that you could find like, you know, Jolly Pumpkin right. or something like that on store shelves. But there wasn't a lot of like that going on. And it was a huge inspiration to us. Not up in Northern Cal. I mean, uh, I mean, Russian River, but like that Santa Cruz kind of area. No, I would say not. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you had like Cascade, Russian River, Jolly Pumpkin, but it was pretty small. Like the whole like farmhouse beer scene was kind of just still burgeoning at that time you know everyone was still like trying to make west coast ipa and of trying course. to nail that down of course um so yeah i um i graduated college and you know I, when i left la i was like i'm never coming back to this place so i was like i'm gonna do whatever i can to not move back to la i got two job offers one was to become a park ranger at a big basin state park <laughs> so uh well, and the other was like yeah no i mean actually my my dad actually is a u.s forest service he he works on that side so i mean there you know that would still be a a dope job but i'm kind of glad you actually went into the brewing industry so (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so at that point tim was actually leaving to go start sante and uh he was like this kid's really all about it. I know he's like maybe too into it to, and you don't like maybe want that much enthusiasm here, but you know, I'd really be awesome if you could get this kid a job here now that I'm leaving. Um, so he kind of like got me his job when he went to Sante and then I was there at the homebrew shop, um, for about a year and, um, a local brewery, um, Boulder Creek brewery, which is kind of, uh, it's like 30 minutes North of Santa Cruz in the Santa Cruz mountains. Okay. They were like, Oh, we need someone to help out with, you know, brew days, whatever it is, you know, obviously dirt pay long hours, of dirty job. Yeah, yeah. Little, <laughs> the one really cool thing about the, um, homebrew shop is it was a co-op. So we were all owners. So we got, we all actually got really decent pay. Um, and it was a really good job. Um, so, so it was kind of like I'm gonna take a pay cut to go work at a brewery, but you, I mean, I get so, to make beer. So you made that jump to Boulder Creek. I mean, was that more for like the commercial brewing experience? I mean, it's kind of like what I did. Like when you know, I obviously I wasn't working at a, a, a homebrew shop co-op, but you know, I left my job to go learn kind of the ground up like commercial brewing side. Is that when you why you did it at Boulder Creek or no? Yeah. I mean, my dream was always to be, you know, a professional brewer. Right. Um, I was just really fortunate, you know, I was still 21. So I got to enter the industry when I was 21. So I feel really fortunate for that. Most people don't get to do that. Um, so young, uh, and then pretty much I transitioned into being there full time, you know, just after I turned 22 and the head brewer was like, Hey, I, I think I'm going to be leaving. Oh, wow. Uh, so I actually became the head brewer of that brewery when I was 22, which is really crazy. So, so when along the lines, did you meet, uh, Jesse and Matt? So, uh, once the brewery burned down, um, my lady, she was on a wait list to actually move down to San Diego and go to school, um, for cardiovascular ultrasound. And, we, at that point, you know, I was like, Hey, I've got a really good gig here. I'm 24 and running a brewery. I can't really like leave right now. Um, I haven't been here long enough to, you know, transition to another brewery or start my own place. Um, but then the brewery burned down and it was kind of like one of those twists of fate things. And I was like, hell, there's a lot of breweries in San Diego. I'm probably not going to get a job here in Santa Cruz if I stay, you know, so let's, uh, let's, let's make the move. So we uh, headed down to San Diego, put all our stuff in the U-Haul tow the Integra behind the U-Haul, you know, that whole deal, uh, got down here, San Diego, and I could not get a job for the life of me. Um, you know, a lot of that whole, like, if you put head brewer on your resume, you're not going to get thrown on the bottling line. Um, no. selfishly enough, I was looking at breweries that have like a 15 barrel or smaller brew house. Like I didn't really want to work at a, a big, um, brewery. Cause I knew there wouldn't be a lot of opportunities for either like personal growth or creativity. 
So I actually started <laughs> the course of me moving down to San Diego. I slowly like dumbed down my resume. So first I was the head brewer and then I changed my resume and I was the assistant brewer and I had my assistant brewer listed as the head brewer and place someone called my references. And then eventually I was just like, okay, I was the bartender there for three years and I got a job instantly. <laughs> it was great. It's funny how those things so work I, though. Yeah. I know. Yeah. If you're overqualified, you won't get the call. No. Um, so bartended for like six months. Uh, that was great fun. And the whole time, you know, I'm looking at pro brewer, um, trying to find opportunities for either head brewing positions, um, or, you know, any opportunities to, you know, help out in a brewery. And, uh, I met Matt and Jesse through pro brewer. They had a post up there looking for a head brewer. Um, so background story on pure project, uh, my partners, Matt and Jesse, they were living down in Costa Rica and they were looking to start a craft brewery down there in the small, uh, versioning craft brew scene in Manuel Antonio. Um, but at a certain point they realized that there wasn't really the infrastructure there, um, to support brewery as far as like wastewater, um, where do, what do you do with your spent grain, all those things. Um, so they decided to bring the project back to San Diego. And at that point they were like, we don't have the professional brewing experience. Um, and you know, we're entering a world-class beer scene. So we need to, you know, get someone who has the experience to really, you know, grow the brand and determine what the vision of our styles look like. So when exactly did you guys get founded? Like when did you guys start pure project? What was like the initial date? So manual Antonio brewing company started, uh, they started that concept in 2013. Um, and then by, you know, 2015, they were pulling the plug on it and moving it back to San Diego. And we opened, Pure project in January of 2016. Nice. So, so, so Jesse and Matt tap you to become the first brewmaster for Pure Project. You're responsible for creating a tap list and recipes for each beer. We know firsthand, like me and Maria, you know that it can be a very daunting process to to do this. How did you tackle like setting the initial course for the brewery? <laughs> it's actually funny. I was like thinking about this before, you know the the interview and i was like wow like we've come so far i mean we recently moved into our a larger production space and kind of just like reflecting on the past you know you know five years and initially you know i really wanted to like start that kind of like farmhouse oriented brewery um a big thing i always kept saying is like i don't want to be an ipa factory i don't want to be an ipa factory because the the brewery <laughs> that i worked at before you know like 90 percent of what we brewed was our like house west coast I, IPA, ipa yeah you know but you got to pay the bills. So like we started, I had the barrel program started, but obviously it takes, you know, about a year before you're getting anything from your mixed firm program. So opened up, we had some, you know, like gozas and stuff like that. And I was like purposely making like a good, but like mediocre West coast IPA just so like people wouldn't be like driving from around the County to come drink it down. They don't get attached. You don't <laughs> want people getting too attached. I understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then dude, hazy IPA happened, uh, that like really changed the course of everything. Um, when I started in the brewing industry, it was about the same time as the West coast IPA where all the old school brewers were like, this is an IPA, uh, West coast IPA. There's no malt character. It's too bitter. It's too dry, too fruity. I want pine and caramel malt. And, you know, having, you know, worked through that. I saw the same thing happening with the West coast brewers in response to hazy IPA. And I was like, look guys, like if it's good, it's good. And if the people are buying it, that's great. You know, it's, it's always cool to say you brew, we brew for us, but in the end, like we're really brewing for our audience, you know, Absolutely. the best part seeing those ha- happy faces when you see people drinking a beer that you made. Um, so we started, you know, we were some of the first wave of uh, hazy IPA brewers in uh, Southern California, you know, along with modern times and monkish. Um, and that kind of just changed the whole direction of the brewery, you know, started doing can releases, which were huge. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of changed the direction of everything. And, you know, we're here now. Right. And we're kind of like looking at ourselves now in this new space and asking ourselves like, what do we want your project to be? Right. Because before we were just like, okay, let's like make the beer and let's sell it and not had like a (laughs) a brand vision, you know, like what do we want to be like, what do we want this place to be like to work at? Right. 
No, I understand that. Absolutely. 100%. Actually, on a, on a side note, my brother is actually out there in San Diego. And uh, he actually was at your spot yesterday. I think the one, uh, <laughs> the, the, old, the old location. I mean, still part of the locations. And he's already been to a few of the other breweries in town. And he's like, Pure Project's the best beer in San Diego. That's what he told oh, I really me. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like, I already know this, you know, but I'm glad you found out, you know what I mean? Cause Winslow is a good dude, man. But yeah. And that was another big thing when we started, right? Like moving to a beer scene that has some of the best breweries in the world and every BJCP style already has a world-class example. A big thing of mine a lot uh, during that time that was the big push like from you know every year there were like 25 breweries opening in san diego there were you know 100 then there's 125 and a lot of the breweries that were opening were kind of just regurgitations of the same beer right that was already being brewed and a big thing of mine was like i want to brew something different like i want to add something to the beer scene here without stepping on other people's toes like sculpin at that time was like the best ipa in the fucking world and it was on top of every you know, bar bar. San Diego. So it's like, I'm not going to create something better than Sculpin. So let's do something different and let's do something interesting and give people a reason to come to pier our tiny little tap room in the warehouse district in the middle of nowhere. Right. And I think I actually, I came out there, I think it was either when I first met you, I might've been the end of 2016 or beginning of uh, 17 and you guys are making some killer beers. What, what was the initial size of the system you had at that, at the first, spot so the first spot was a seven barrel system um interesting concept that was done with that space and how we were able to open go from like concept to opening so quickly is actually the uh the landlord um they're like a big commercial landowner in southern california they had a they were noticing how many breweries were going into their commercial spaces and they were like hell let's you know let's build a let's build a spot uh, that's already built out and then we can just rent it for a premium and then people don't have to take a million dollars in debt to open a brewery. So we were actually what the first one of those spaces, they call it the igniter space. Right. So it was built out with a, you know, kind of like a turnkey brewery and then like a blank canvas for a tasting room. So we kind of, we hand built our tasting room and then we had a brewery ready to go. So we got into the space in like October and by January we were opening, which is crazy for a brewery, right? Usually it takes like a, at least a year and a half to open a brewery. Right. And it was a great way that we didn't have to take on a bunch of investor debt, right? Like we actually own our brewery, which is super cool. No, that's <laughs> not a lot of people thing. can say that. No, not at all. But um, um, so yeah, that was seven barrel brew house. Um, we got up to about thirty five hundred, four thousand barrels last year on it. So oh, wow, we were cranking on that thing. Yeah, that's cranking, dude. <laughs> I mean, that is cranking for a seven barrel. You guys are putting out a lot of beer. That's amazing. How how has that grown over five years? Where are you guys at now after the five year? So at this last year um, during COVID, um, definitely a hard time for certain business models in the brewing industry. Um, And there was a brewery in um, North County Vista uh, that uh, closed doors and pretty much we were able to assume their building and space. And we moved in there uh, January of this year. um, And, june we started brewing so that's a 15 barrel brew house so you know double size i kind of like scaled up the the brew house that we already have it's it's still like a premier stainless brew pub system combi system it's not like a true you know it's not like some gea like german made right like, I rolex or that's whatever. not a rolex um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's still great. It's still way better. It's got it's got rakes in it, which oh. are awesome. Uh, we, we still don't have rakes. Yes, rakes are amazing. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> That's I've awesome. been in the tugboat back yes, there. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, how many barrels are you shooting to do at the new location, and where do you think you guys will be at an overall standpoint now? Yeah, so our, our uh, pace, like for this year, I think we're going to be somewhere in the five to six thousand barrel range. Um, a big thing for us and our specific kind of business model and approach to the industry is we don't really want to get into the wholesale game. Um, it's really hard to compete down here in Southern California, unless you have a big brewery and economies of scale. Yes. Um, and you know, there's just so many good beers on the shelves. Like how is anyone going to pick your beer over anyone else's right. And quality and freshness are paramount for us. 
it really i mean it, at that point it almost becomes a marketing game and you know like how well you market your brand on the shelf i mean trust me we're in the wholesale game so it's uh it's not an easy one but i applaud you for staying away from that because you guys benefit the most by doing that you also have the following statement on all your labels for those who believe that quality ingredients and attention to detail matter from grain to glass what does that exactly mean to the consumer yeah exactly um this kind of goes back to our founding and what our you know ethos was from the beginning a lot of breweries open and their their vision of themselves is like certain styles of beer right like we're going to open a place that specializes in check loggers, or we're going to open a place that, you know, brews West coast IPA. Um, our thing was always ingredients. So we never kind of quartered ourselves on styles. We always based our, um, our beer around the ingredients. So, you know, all the adjuncts that we use, um, you know, fruit, um, any kind of like spices or anything like that, that's always organic. Um, and then we work alongside, you know, some local uh, grain growers. Admiral Malting um, is big for us here in California. They're located up in Alameda. So it's all about kind of just getting closer to the farmers, getting closer to our producers and letting the ingredients speak for themselves, right? Like we don't start with like a, a style and then go backwards to find the ingredients for it. We kind of we're like, okay, there's this great organic farm, JR Organics here in San Diego. They have these amazing strawberries. Okay, let's, you know, it's strawberry season. Let's brew five different beers and have like strawberry festival at our brewery, that kind of thing, right? So I guess what's next as far as like beer styles that you guys want to put out? Anything different? Anything like like the mixed firm stuff that you're able to to actually um, make a profit on now, <laughs> not just you <laughs> enjoy or or the other brewers? Yeah, exactly. So funny enough, like I think kind of like beer flavored beer is coming back a little bit. Ah, so um, less ad less adjuncts, less uh, fruit smoothie. Yeah, so we're actually starting to can like we're releasing a Vienna Lager for Oktoberfest, which is going to be awesome. Like up to now, we were just doing like you know super fruited sours, hazy IPAs, you know the things that people will you know drive across town to come get in cans. But now we're seeing like we we recently canned like a uh, Belgian Golden Strong, and we're actually going to can a bitter. I know it's like complete commercial suicide. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't in. don't say that because my new head brewer Dan is trying to brew an ESB, and I almost fell out of the chair. But he, I'm like, okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to brew some classic styles into cans, which are, I mean, our brewers are really excited about. Our staff is really excited about. Maybe they're just the ones buying it on their gift cards, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the beer styles are moving now so it's 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 great uh we started recently kind of delving into the whole smoothie beer um thing we had stayed away from it a while for a while because we were we're having a hard time sourcing ingredients to be honest like right. finding the organic um organic fruit they'll create a shelf stable product is really tough that is very tough um so it took us a lot longer to figure out how to get there but they seem to be doing pretty well um loggers, you know, all the fun stuff. I got one more question for you. You are 1% of the planet company, meaning 1% of gross revenue go to national and international environmental causes. The news about the effects of climate change has been pretty bleak lately. Do you still have hope that we can save the planet, its plants, animals, and how can a brewery like yours make a difference? Yeah, so we always ask ourselves as owners too, right? Like it's always great to, to give money to causes. And I mean, 1% of sales is a huge number, right? You know that, like, you know, the actual profit margins on like running a brewery are, oh, yeah. they're not the best, uh, even in the good times. So, uh, 1% of sales is a big, big thing. So like up to this point, we pretty much, we're pretty much a nonprofit brewery. We haven't taken anything out of the business. And <laughs> I think we've given about $150,000, um, to our charitable partners um, up to now. Um, so working with, you know, on the face of climate change, right. We're talking about like protect our winters. They're a really good, um, organization for they're started by, you know, snowboarders to protect the snow pack. Um, the forest stewardship also is really important, right. For as like carbon is getting released into the, the atmosphere, it's really important to sequester it in trees and not clear cut those trees for farmland and for, 
building things. For more housing. Um, yeah, I agree. We need to plant yeah, more housing. trees. Yep. But also, you know, on our own side, making our processes as sustainable as possible. Um, Sierra Nevada is a huge leader in that part of our industry. So, you know, we've, we've had some, you know, calls with them, seeing what we can do on our scale to be better. And, you know, it's implementing solar at our brewery. Uh, we're actually going to implement CO2 recapture, which oh, is going to wow. be really cool. Okay. Um, so we're going to be able to capture the CO2 that's coming off of our fermentation instead of buying it, which will give us not only cleaner CO2, which will make better beer, but also not have to release that CO2 into the atmosphere. Which is also um, a harmful thing. Yes. Our, and then this kind of also goes back to like the organic um, versus sustainable. Right. And I think a, one of the big reasons we aren't organic certified is because sometimes transparency is better than organic. Um, organic is a label that can just get slapped on things and it doesn't actually make the most sustainable products. So like in the case of our grain that we're working with uh, Admiral Maltings for, they have a, um, a strain of uh, barley that was actually bred to be dry farmed in California, which is huge. And unfortunately, it's not organic certified. It was bred at UC Davis, the famous brewing school, um, and agriculture school. But we're actually able to have a more sustainable product, whereas like they're, they're organic, they do have organic line for the breweries that are organic certified, but the organic is not dry farmed and it's not no-till. Uh. Um, so we're able to get no-till dry farmed barley, but it's not organic. So which one's more sustainable? Right. I hear you. Right. So it's all about transparency, really, in the end, when it comes down to it. Okay. Well, I really want to thank you for your time, brother. I mean, it's uh, it's been awesome chatting with you, and we hopefully will be able to get back out and see you or you come down here and see us again. I mean, I also need to get a ride in the car sooner or later, so... I know you got to come before I sell it. My my lady oh, no. trying to get me to get out of the garage. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, come man. sooner than later then. All right, brother. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank and, you. Uh, it was good talking to you, man. Thanks so much. It was good to see your guys' faces. I'll see you soon. I'll see you. All right, brother. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest played in the National Football League for 11 seasons. He played for five teams, the Oakland Raiders, Arizona Cardinals, Denver Broncos, Green Bay Packers, and the Indianapolis Colts. He retired six months ago and is now beginning a second career as a podcaster, focusing on two topics that are near and dear to my heart, football and beer. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Jared Veldier. How you doing, man? I'm well. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh Thank you. Uh, I want to thank you ahead of time for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, your time. And uh, we're also joined here by my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hi, guys. So before we get into talking about beer, let's talk some football. You were born and raised in Grand Rapids and played college football at Hillsdale College. You were drafted 69th in the 2010 NFL Draft. How hard is it to make it to the pros from a Division II program, would you say? Yeah, uh, not a whole ton of guys do it. I think it's, I think you're seeing more and more small school guys, uh, you know, have success in the NFL just with, uh, you know, the ease of technology of their film being able to, you know, be widespread among scouts. Um, you know, no one kind of goes unnoticed at this point. You know, it's, it's super easy to get taped through, you know, cloud servers. And, and so it's all out there. And, you know, you got, these huge staffs of pro teams that it's their job to find, you know, diamonds in the rough, so to speak. So uh, definitely not as easy, you know, doing the traditional division one powerhouse route, but uh, it's still doable. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was, you know, one of the few who was able to, to do it. That's awesome. So on March 11th, 2014, you signed a five-year $35 million contract with the Arizona Cardinals. How was that for you? Like, what was that day for you? You signed that contract, man. That was that was awesome. That was um, that was a, a, a cool day because one, I was, uh, you know, now part of a team that had an upwards trajectory and you know was looking to make the playoffs and uh, back with some some old friends like Carson Palmer at quarterback, uh, about to move to Arizona, uh, which I was excited about, and um, 
And then, you know, that financial piece was incredible because, you know, I, I knew that if I was able to play out that, you know, entire contract, because, you know, not all that's guaranteed, but uh, if, if I were to, you know, earn every cent of that contract, you know, I'd, I'd pretty much be in a spot to have financial freedom for the rest of my life. And uh, not a lot of people get that opportunity when uh, they're either in their late twenties or thirties. So uh, that was pretty special. And uh, that was definitely a big day. As an offensive tackle, you have protected some of the great quarterbacks, uh, three-time pro bowler and Carson Palmer, uh, Super Bowl MVP, three-time league MVP, future hall of famer, Aaron Rodgers. You've been in the trenches with these guys. Can you try to tell the, the business radio audience, like what makes these guys great leaders? Yeah, so those those are two very different uh, people right there too, as far as you know, just personality traits. Um, Carson was, and it's funny because they're both California guys, but I guess one's one sums up Northern California and one sums up Southern California <laughs> <laughs> or NorCal SoCal. Yeah, uh, you got Carson, Southern California guy, really you know, easygoing, laid back, um, and you know just really kind of, you know, I don't want to say soft around the edges, but just really, just really mellow as, as a whole. Um, and very approachable, uh, guys knew that when he was addressing them over something, you know, he was, he was coming from, you know, a sincere place and, uh, you know, he would, he would fall on the sword, uh, before anybody else, you know, he was a really selfless player. Uh, and then, uh, Rogers, uh, was you know he's a little more uh reserved um you know unless you're part of that team uh you know we'd, we'd go out and do the o-line dinner every thursday night and you know he'd, he'd love it he'd be chatting up we'd have conversation but then you know we'd be in the building and when it was time to talk to the media you know it's all it's very cut and dry um you know he was just a guy who likes to you know i think keep his circle you know small and tight and uh you know, he's super smart, very intellectual guy. Uh, so, you know, he's always processing things from that standpoint. And uh, what those guys both did really well uh, was was control that offense and, and, and just be great leaders for the team. Uh, they were both guys that when they speak, guys listen, guys follow. Um, and they were very sincere in what they said. Um, didn't matter, you know, what coaches were saying, what the external pressures were. They could pull the team aside, you know, give the words. And those guys, you know, the teammates, we all responded, you know, to the utmost level whenever those guys would, would say something. That's awesome. Thank you for that uh, piece of information. So you, you have had, a, you know, you had a long NFL career, which just recently ended. I read that you got slapped with a six-game suspension and decided to retire. What was behind that decision for retirement? Yeah. So I was pretty much, I like tried to retire two years ago <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then it got towards the end of the season and I was still in pretty good shape just from working out and doing my regular stuff. So I wanted to see if I could unretire and if anyone needed help. And that's where I caught on with green Bay and had the little playoff run there. And then, uh, all intents and purposes went back to being retired. Um, and, and so I was, was retired and got a call from an old coach uh, early December. Uh, it was uh, – he's the O-line coach of the Colts and uh, said they needed some help there. Uh, I played for him when I was in Denver. And, you know, I we, we basically couldn't figure out a way that I could be home with my family on Christmas, which it was going to be like our first uh, oh, family boy. Christmas at home and, you know, had all the holiday plants and so – you know, we figured, you know, we'd circle back when Christmas was, was done. And on December 26th, I was in the car heading to Indy. So, uh, that, that was pretty wild. Um, and then, you know, started that next week, the week 17 game after being at home the entire year, which was, which was pretty crazy. Um, but it was fun. And then played a playoff game up in Buffalo with the Colts and, uh, you know, then went back into retirement really. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And then really get, having that suspension is really the icing on the cake, of, right. you know, being done with the uh, retired, not retired, <laughs> retired, not retired game. It's, it gives some clarity to it. And, um, you know, it was, you know, the reason that I, I got suspended was for, 
you know, when I was in retirement, taking something that was, you know, helping my health from, you know, detriments uh, that could have been caused during my career and, you know, just overall, uh, you know, health and wellness stuff that I'm, I'm big on and, and, and wanted to make sure I was, you know, living as, as healthy as, as possible. And, you know, that was part of it, the medication that I was, I was put on. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that doesn't, uh, jive quite well with the, the drug testing policy, which, you know, I can understand, but, uh, but yeah, so that, uh, that's that. And now it's on to, uh, uh, a different future, but one that I'm excited about. And, and, and as we had talked before, I actually have been part of that and, you know, that same product that you were taking that was actually a natural thing for your body to help combat some of the things that you're you know as we age and get older you know kind of helps combat some of those things that you you know like you said you've taken blows in the nfl that could have led to those those problems so i i completely understand why you were taking that so i i do feel for you on that instance but i think now you you've journeyed into something new and exciting and we're going to get into that like what got you into doing a beer podcast yeah so uh i've i've loved craft beer uh you know for the last at all intents and purposes ever ever since i was really in in college uh which was a while ago so it's probably been almost like two decades of, of really enjoying craft beer maybe about 15 years um but you know once i got out to oakland i, I played with the raiders my first four years and and being in the bay area uh, there's a pretty good craft beer, beer scene there. And I was trying to figure out what to do in the off season. Uh, you know, I was going back home to Michigan and I trained during the day and, you know, try to, you know, lay low and take it easy. And that left a lot of downtime. So my second year in the league, I entered, I, I put a home brewing kit in the O-line gift exchange and I walked <laughs> away with it. <laughs> it was, a, it was a white elephant exchange. Uh, I could I could read the room and I don't think anyone else really wanted to try their hand at it and I really wanted to so anyway took that beer beer kit home and uh, and the rest was history kind of fell in love with 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 beer really from the home brewing side it taught me a lot about what was you know in the glass right. and it got me to try new things and you know it got me excited about you know the different breweries in my area the locations you know what hops were they putting in all the yeast like you know kind of nerd out on the specifics. And, uh, and now kind of taken in the last 10 years of being a home brewer, uh, I look to the future and maybe, you know, one day down the road, I'd like to start my own brewery. Um, but I enjoy having, you know, conversations with, uh, experts, you know, in the field. Uh, it's a, it's a tough thing to, to talk about, uh, you know, with, with my friends and, you know, even with my wife, you know, getting the nitty gritty <laughs> of, of beer and beer science and beer people, you of know, it's a, yeah, it's a fun group to, to be around. So figured i'd uh, start a show talking to the best of the best oh i mean that's uh, that's an awesome thing so let me ask you a question what was the first style of beer that you attempted to brew as a home brewer <laughs> yeah so it was an irish red ale which is really funny because i don't know if i've even had an irish red ale since i brewed that original <laughs> beer and i don't know how many red ales i had ever had before brewing that like i don't know why i settled on it i think it was because it was uh, you know it was a pretty forgiving style to to brew, right. and you know it turned out it turned out good. It wasn't contaminated and overly oxidized, and you know I enjoyed it. But uh, kind of moved on to different styles right after that. So got the obscure Irish Red as my uh, <laughs> as my number <laughs> number one batch. That's actually the first beer style that I remember being exposed to. My dad used to drink Killian's Red. Killian's Red. So. Yeah. I, I'm very well aware of that of that style. <laughs> it's not I, that obscure, I don't think. I mean, as long as that first batch was actually palatable or drinkable, I mean, I, I commend you if they. I mean, I'm sure that's what happened, right? That's the a beer win. turned out good. Yeah, yeah, it turned out it turned out good. I think I think I like almost like froze part of it when I was like trying to to maybe I don't even I don't think I tried to cold crash it. I think I kegged it and then stuck it in a fridge that i was trying to convert to like a kegerator and for whatever reason the temperature got extremely cold and it was like a, a beer slushy for like maybe a couple <laughs> days but uh you know they got the that whole motto relax don't worry like have of a course. homebrew or something like that in the homebrew yeah charlie capazian and, uh, yeah 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 and yeah. you know that that held true you know i just kind of you know adjusted the temperature 
let it come back down, made sure that the PSI was set to the, to the right, uh, uh, level and, you know, it carved up and we we're able to drink it and, it and it tasted decent. So, so I, I know playing college football and then, you know, and you played college and pro most of the guys on the offensive line, you know, they weren't drinking craft beer. Like, were you the only guy in the locker room drinking craft beer? And while the other guys are like crushing Miller or beast or something like that. Yeah. You've kind of find, you kind of find your craft beer guys. Cause there's always like that, you know, you know, it's just like the population as a whole, you know, you got your craft beer drinkers and they like to talk about craft beer. You'd be in the facility and you would know your teammates that liked craft beer, the video guys who liked craft beer, the trainers who like, you know, we'd all talk it together. So you'd have the little, you know, the craft beer crew and, you know, it'd be like 20 guys plus or whatever. But once somebody, especially the later years when they figured out that I brewed my own beer, you know, it was really a, a nice conversation point, especially for, you know, going to a new team or, you know, just kind of building relationships outside just the locker room, you know, with some of the other personnel uh, it was always an easy icebreaker and, uh, you know, got to know a lot of, a lot of guys that way. Uh, but you know what, there's, the, I feel like the O-lines that I've been on have been pretty receptive to, to craft beer. There was actually, um, um, there was another guy from the, the Cardinals. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Dickens boy. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. And Buford knows him as well. Yeah. Um, he just, he was on uh, Tampa's backup roster last year. I'm trying to remember who, uh, his name now, but there was another guy that was big into craft beer as well, but I think, oh, yes, probably, uh, probably Earl. It is. Our, yeah, it is. Our, it's our Earl. Earl. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So yeah. And they, actually Earl is one of the guys. So like my first year in Arizona, the O line, we brewed with Arizona wilderness. We brewed a triple IPA, uh, to oh. kind of benefit the, uh, the Tillman foundation down there for an event that they were doing. So that that was pretty fun. Oh, that was you guys. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So tell me about this this new venture, this Jared Velbeer podcast. How did it come about and what is the concept behind the show? Uh yeah, so uh it kind of came about with, you know, having that goal in the future to to possibly, you know, start up my own brewery, but in the meantime, uh, you know, build relationships, uh, you know, with people like you and, and people inside the, the brewing community. Um, and it's just something that I, I like talking beer with people and it's hard to, to do, you know, in everyday life and with, with what I'm doing, you know, I'm raising two little kids and I'm chasing them around. I got some great friends, but it's, we're not talking shop on craft beer. You know, if I throw out, <laughs> right. if I tell them to list, you know, three different hot varieties, I'm not sure anybody's no. going to be able to, you know, to holler, you know, three <laughs> off quick. No. Uh, and, and so I was kind of, you know, longing for, for that connection, uh, and, you know, stumbled upon, uh, you know, a, a team that that's kind of helped me put that into something uh, tangible and, and in the podcast form. And I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. So you're mostly in on this podcast. I mean, it's all beer. I mean, and you're talking to people within the industry, kind of like what we're doing here. But are there certain things you're after in these podcasts to try to find out more information about? Or is it just to talk beer and hang out? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a it's, it's talking beer, but at the same time, I've always been really interested in performance and, you know, whatever that performance is, you, you know, playing a professional sport for 10 years. Uh, there's something about just trying to always get better and find those, those little ways to improve. And so that fascinates me with anything. So it's, it's fun to try to pick that apart. Uh, you know, people that are having success are having success for a reason. So to tease that out is, is interesting to me. Uh, you know, anything from, from team building to, you know, going through, uh, you know, adversity and, you know, having success with, with, uh, whatever solutions to fix the problem, uh, all that kind of stuff. And even, you know, really big general why questions like, you know, why'd you get into it? You know, what's your, you know, favorite beer to birds, eh, you know, that kind of stuff, fun, fun stuff. And, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, come at it from a, a point of, you know, a, a craft beer lover, but someone who's trying to really understand as much about, you know, the craft beer and the industry as a whole. I mean, we do it from the business standpoint, but I think it's very important that people kind of understand those things that you're talking about as well. So I think it's, it's a good information base, like to get those questions and have the average person that really doesn't know that much about craft beer. I mean, it helps educate them beyond, you know, 
not knowing anything at all and kind of dive in on that. Or having someone that's a football fan that may not know about craft beer and right. you're, you're educating right. them with, with the podcast, the same that we try to do with maybe a craft beer drinker that doesn't know a lot about some of the people that we've interviewed that are right. into craft beer. So it, it intersects and that's, that's definitely pretty cool. Yeah. Have you thought, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the thought has crossed your mind. Now you've been homebrewing for a decade now you've officially retired from the NFL. Have you thought about the step to opening your own brewery? Yeah. So, uh, I'm back in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, you know, craft beer is, is widely accepted by, uh, by the people in West Michigan. Uh, you know, they, they, they like drinking it. Um, uh, there's, there's no lack of, of craft breweries. Uh, and so, you know, I, I've thought about opening, you know, a place in town, um, and, you know, trying to kind of insert some of what I've, you know, learned in the places that I've lived. Cause you guys know beer has almost a little bit of a regional culture as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and so taking a little bit of that West coast beer culture, uh, even that Southwest beer culture is a little different in Arizona. Um, and, you know, trying to bring some of that into the Midwest cause, uh, to me, like, if you think like Midwest beer, like a Midwest IPA, I'm thinking like Bell's too hearted, like right in a bell. And if you're thinking like West coast IPA, um, immediately to my head, I'm thinking like, uh, Pliny the elder or something like that, you know, and those are two very different IPAs. Um, and you, you know, there's not a lot of that, you know, the, the West coast and, and I know there's more, uh, hazies are like everywhere now. So there's, there's plenty of, you they're know, all over breweries, the map, you know, doing, yeah. doing, doing hazies and whatnot in, in West Michigan, but, you know, try to take some of, some of that beer culture and put it into a, a brewery in, in Grand Rapids would be awesome. Uh, you know, I'd love to do it. Uh, it's kind of, it, to me, it's like, I want to do it when the timing's right and not rush into it. Um, Again, you know, raising a young family right now and getting back to Grand Rapids after, you know, getting out of a long career, it's nice to settle down and, you know, spread some roots there, you know, make local connections, kind of form a team. So, uh, you know, the carriage isn't going out before the horse, so to speak. Of course. I mean, uh, it's, yeah, kind of take your time and, and let it kind of grow organically into what it's going to be. But, but is that also... Yes. <laughs> and as kind of a fun side note, too, I have... I technically, I have a day job right now. I am the school lunch lady for uh, St. Paul the Apostle School <laughs> in, uh, I mean, in Grand you, Rapids. You might be the largest lunch lady I would probably, I've ever <laughs> Yeah, met. so I, I'm, I'm, heading, I'm, I'm heading up that, that whole food program over there. So that's been, that's been fun. I've really enjoyed that. That's uh, it's a high octane atmosphere and uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely good energy and uh, it, it's been fun. So, um, so I, you know, I was an offensive lineman in college, didn't go to the pros, but we all know that the so-called skill players, quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, get all the attention. What is the average football fan? I mean, I know, but what do they not understand about the offensive line? That uh, those so-called skill positions, the receivers, quarterbacks, tight ends, uh, they're not getting any pub if the O line isn't doing their job. <laughs> that's uh, that's so we make true. it all we make it all happen. It's like uh, in Hollywood, you know, to to make a big movie, you have to have the grips, the key grips. It's like we're the grips, we're the people moving behind the scenes to make make sure everything's going right, and you only notice us when we're messing up. Right, like right, of course, we want to stay incognito. If if we're in the limelight, that means something bad's happening. Uh, so we kind of make it all work. We're, we're, we're the nitty gritty bunch that, you know, just kind of puts our head down and, yep. and grinds for 60 minutes. So the other guys can, uh, you know, make the splash plays and put some points on the board. Yeah, that's it. And it's funny because that's what I explained to the youth football team that I coach here. Like nobody wants to play offensive line, but if you do not have an offensive line, you have no team. So someone's got to get dirty to do this stuff. I mean, and it's just about finding those guys that don't mind getting dirty and, and you know, guys that like button heads for, for 10 seconds for, you know, a whole three hours. <laughs> so it's not, yeah. it's, it's not yeah, pretty. It's a, no. And it's, yeah, you get all sorts of people on the O-line too. You know, you think like kind of in your head, you can think of a stereotype, but that's usually pretty, you know, broken once you get in a room full of O-linemen because you got, you know, those guys that love just, you know, 
going out there and hitting somebody. You got the guys who are, you know, uh, really thinking about what they're going to do. You guys, you got the guy who's just got kind of lumped into that group. You know, it's just a hodgepodge <laughs> of guys. It's almost like the Island of Misfit Toys. Absolutely. Uh, I would agree. But, but we get it done. And, you know, the whole going back to, you know, skill players, wide receivers, all that good stuff. Uh, I personally think that the most skilled position on the football field is the offensive line. I know I'm a little biased, but go have the average person go try to take a pass set right. and, and stop someone from, from getting to where they're trying to go in, in a technical fashion that uh, a offensive lineman is performing opposed to just running a pattern and catching a ball. That's much that, that oh. to me, it takes much less skill uh, to just run in a, a whatever line you're supposed to and then catch it. Now the catching part, there's a little bit of finesse to that, right? but everything else is just much more intuitive and, and easy to learn, uh, especially if you're on the defensive side of the ball, but being, you know, being on that offensive side in the offensive line uh, side in particular, there's just so much that's just so technical that you have to just learn through thousands of repetitions. And it's just so unnatural to the human body. Oh, I know. I, I totally agree with that. And I would uh, totally stand behind you because obviously that's the position I played. But you know, I, have <laughs> I to appreciate say. it. I appreciate the support. Though. Absolutely. To no end, honestly. But I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, brother. I can't wait to be on yours. Can you tell everybody where they can find your podcast? Yeah. So right now we are in the process of getting uh, – a handful of episodes together to launch so we can, uh, you know, be pretty consistent. Um, but once we get that launch, it'll be everywhere where, you know, you're listening to your favorite podcast. If it's on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you'll be able to find us, it's going to be called the, uh, the Veldbeer podcast. So my last name is Veldbeer, a uh, little, uh, play on words there. Um, so Veldbeer, uh, be talking to uh some some leaders in the industry and uh i look forward to uh getting that out there and i think we'll put a bunch of clips too across social media platforms so if you just follow me on any of my socials which is you know pretty easy because i'm lucky that i got verified while i was playing so it's uh <laughs> I, I should have some kind of check or verification so you know it's me but i'll be putting it out there and i'll direct people so so they can find it but oh. uh it's gonna be fun uh you know listen in and you know, it's a new thing. So if anyone listening here is going to listen to the show, uh, drop me some feedback, you know, if it's uh, in the comment section of, of, of whatever medium you're listening to. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see what, what they're saying. Okay, absolutely. We really appreciate your time. And Thank I, you. uh, I am looking forward to being on your show here soon, man. Thank you very much, Jared. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for, uh, for having you on. And I appreciate you guys uh, having me on today. Thank you. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Winslow Sawyer and Jared Veldier, my co-host, Maria Cabre, and my producer, Rocco Riggio. Thank you for listening. We're here each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132. Replays are on Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 1 p.m. You can also find repeat episodes on the SiriusXM app. Remember, people, the thirst is real. You're listening to SiriusXM Radio. 